Joey, Joey O as I call him because I <laughs> I have a hard time with Oquendo. Most people do. All right. So people can't tell by looking, but you're Puerto Rican. Yeah, proud. Um, proud Puerto Rican. When I said people can't tell by looking, I mean they can't tell by listening to this podcast because oh. they can't see you. Because I think people can kind of tell by looking. But what... This not even, wasn't even in my notes, but you shared the video. Everyone shared the video. I want to get your take on it. What's the deal with that freaking... Puerto Rican video that, that that guy in was it Michigan or wherever it was that was like you're not in America what yeah. the hell blah blah yeah, blah yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what is going on with people these days man yeah I, I don't know what's going on with this world today uh, with this nation but uh, you know that's that's pretty a uh, pretty popular subject with the you know the whole whether Puerto Ricans are part of this nation or not or uh, whether we want to be or not, I guess we don't have a choice. But the dude's just an asshole. So that's yeah, just, that guy he he needs to listen to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Don't be exactly. an asshole. Exactly. He, he was a uh, plus. He was drunk. He didn't know what the hell he was talking about. My wife told me though that that uh, he got arrested for a hate crime. Oh, okay. He got uh, charged with I don't know what they charged him with other than a hate crime. But yeah, and the officer got fired. Or find or something like that. that. That security guy was he an officer? Was he a no? He was a cop supposedly, from what it from what I've read. Anyways, that guy was the worst part of the video. Yeah, just walking around, not doing anything. And I think it was in Chicago too. I mean, there's like thousands of Puerto Ricans in Chicago. Yeah. It's like the worst place not to do something. I, I know people are just idiots, but I think it's good for it to be in the public eye. Uh, things like that, especially. But especially since that big hurricane went through there, and things are still, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, people don't have power. More people died than what we wanted to say. Yeah, we have a certain political leader who has, well, you know, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Enough said. Yeah. Enough said. <laughs> you know, speaking of Donald Trump, I, most people, first of all. I need to stop saying you know so often. I did that in the last interview, and my wife gave me the runaround for it. <laughs> I've got to learn to speak more better. I get what you're saying when you yeah. say you know, though. You yeah, know. I know you know. You know you know? I know. <laughs> it, it, it's insane. When Donald Trump said, well, now it's would or wouldn't, I'm like, come on. That, that dude don't know what he's talking about. He's talking that, out of his ass. That that's the most semantic thing I've heard since Bill Clinton said. It depends on what the word is means. <laughs> exactly. Uh, would or wouldn't. That doesn't matter. The fact is, the matter is he he disparaged the uh, the intelligence community, and then he said Putin strongly denied, and I believe him. I believe him. Yeah. You know who else strongly denied? O.J. Simpson. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. That dude is, he doesn't know where he's going. I mean, he he talks badly about everybody in his cabinet. You can't trust a word he says. At least Putin didn't stand up and say, I will not rest until I find the real person who has has made the America so not so great again. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I will not rest. If it does not fit, you must quit. (laughs) Unfortunately, these are the people that... uh, A lot of uh, evangelical pastors uh, supported. Yeah, you know, during the primaries, a lot of these same people were anybody but Trump people. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, they. who's the dude from Texas? Uh, Ted Cruz. Cruz. Ted Cruz. Cruz, yeah. Is he from Texas? Yeah, yeah he's, oh, the, okay. yeah, he's a Texas senator. Most of the evangelicals wanted him or Ben Carson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I thought Ben Carson was a nice enough fella, but um, I don't think he would be a very good president of the United States. And I don't think Ted Cruz would be a very good president of the United States. I, I, I would have voted for Marco Rubio, I think. Possibly. Over Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. The, the Democrat, I really don't want to get too political, so we're going to move on pretty quick because gotcha. this podcast, I, I, don't want, I don't want to alienate everybody right off the bat. I think the Democratic National Convention shot themselves in the foot. Definitely. I, I do think Hillary Clinton would be a better president than Donald Trump. I don't want to make any bones about that. Given the choices, I would go with Hillary Clinton. Better to what extent, you know? Yeah. How far can that, how I, much better could it get? I, I know. How much worse can you be? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's not to say that I'm more left-leaning or more right-leaning, um, but I think the Democratic National Convention saw that Donald Trump was going to be the Republican, and let's push, because anybody can beat Donald Trump, right? That had to have been their thinking. That's the thought. That's let's, what... let's get the first woman president ever. And I want there to be a woman president. I think America needs a woman president. But Hillary Clinton has been disliked universally in certain areas of the country since her husband ran for president the first time. For a long time. And it's not her fault. It's nothing she did. It's this... I remember listening to old guys back in 1992, 1993, and when I was, I mean, I I was 18 in 1992, and I remember someone like, well, I don't care too much for that President Clinton. I don't like her husband none either. <laughs> and I was like, all right, what's uh, what's that about? Because um, they thought she was controlling things. They thought she was too tough. Yeah. You know that because every first lady before that wasn't really involved politically. They were involved in social things. They were to smile and wave, at least since uh, Roosevelt. You yeah. Know, because she was, she was you know, involved. But yeah. then since Roosevelt, all the way up until Hillary Clinton, it was more about just smile and wave, dear. Smile and wave. Yeah. And so she was strong. Um, you agree or disagree, that doesn't matter. The, the, the fact that she was so universally disliked um, in... Places like Oklahoma, Missouri, Kansas, Texas, even Arkansas, where they were governors, it made it almost impossible. It was an uphill battle. And if the only two people the Democrats could put up was someone that was universally disliked in half the country or a 70 year old socialist, I was like, we can do better. You know? That, that's for damn sure. Um, I've, I've been an independent voter since 1992, um, I haven't been a Republican or Democrat. Being here in L.A. and then seeing how the right has shifted in the last two years, it's really pushed me further left than I've ever been in my life. Well, I think a lot of people are finding themselves independent now in today's climate where there's so many different beliefs, so many different views. When you have people running like Trump, you know, you, you don't necessarily want to side with your party at that point. So what do you do? And you find yourself relating more with Democrats. And so... uh you know, a lot of people are just finding themselves kind of in limbo. And yeah, I grew up in a church that was like pretty politically active, which I didn't think we were supposed to be. 
but we always had politicians attend church and stand up and yeah. wave and everything. And it was a church of several thousand people. So it wasn't like it was coming to a town of 700 in Oklahoma or even a church of 700, which is a big church. Yeah. It was a church of 5,000. So it gave some credence to whatever candidate showed up and stood up and waved. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I think I'm going to move on from politics. Uh, I want, first of all, I just want to say that whoever you voted for, that's in the past a couple of years now. It's okay to look yourself in the mirror and say, maybe I made a mistake. It's okay to look yourself in the mirror and say, I think maybe I'm still right. I don't think too many people are going to do that, though, especially people that voted for uh, Trump. They're just going to, you know what, not even Trump, people that voted for Hillary also, they're just... They're just going to stick to their guns. Nobody wants to look wrong. Nobody wants to. Everybody wants to point fingers. Everybody wants to cast blame. And yeah, I think the older I get, the more okay I am with being wrong. It's not everybody. You should be. You should be. Not everybody's like that. And that's okay for them. For me, I knew I was right when I was 24. I absolutely knew I was right. I couldn't be wrong. If I believe something, I mean, it's, I believe it. Yeah, yeah it's got to be the truth. And yeah. I'm gonna prove you. I'm gonna prove that I'm right. When I got into my late twenties, into my mid thirties, I started thinking, "Gosh, I think I'm wrong," but I couldn't let anybody know. That would, no. that would have been too embarrassing. I just maybe silently changed my mind. But now that I'm 43 years old, uh, I'm not ancient by any means, but I definitely am getting older. I work out some of my beliefs and some of my thoughts and some of my convictions out loud right now. I, I might say something and then change my mind halfway through changing it. I remember when, geez, who's the guy from Massachusetts who ran against Obama? Uh, Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, yeah. Mitt Romney. Uh, he was called a waffler because he had things where he changed his mind a couple of years apart. And people are like, oh, gosh, he's a waffler. He can't make up his mind on stuff. I've changed my mind in the course of this interview. I, I would hope so. I would yeah. hope so. I mean, if you're the same person that you were 20 years ago, then yeah. you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems. Uh, the other day, I said this in the last interview, but I was talking to, to James, and I, I said in the middle of something, I'm like, I think people are more in love with their theology than they are with Jesus and with the people that God created. And then he was about to disagree with me, and I said, you know what? I misspoke. I think people are more in love with their doctrine because theology, everyone has a theology. Yeah. And so theology is just what you believe about God, but yeah, you're, you're definitely going to, you're, you're going to start up something now with that. Cause that, that is for damn sure, at least in our experience or my experience, uh, when it comes to churches and it comes to your doctrine and it comes to your fellowship, your denomination, that's there. They, they are gun ho about their doctrine. I think doctrine is one of those things that we can, that should be pliable. It should be pliable because, yes, we've made the leap to believe that God exists, that there is something bigger than us, and we have narrowed that down into the evangelical doctrine that we have. And I, I and this podcast is for anybody struggling with any kind of spirituality or struggling without any kind of spirituality just to ask themselves why they believe or why they don't believe. That's, yeah. that's the purpose of my podcast, um, to have fun, have good conversations, and then to get people to ask, why do I believe this or yeah. why don't I believe this? And so it doesn't have to even be what I believe, which I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I was a pastor for 18 years. More people 
need to be open to their their theology being shaped as time goes on. Right. Um, I think when I was in undergrad at, at the college we both attended, um, one of the professors said something that will forever shape me that will probably, if I mention his name, probably would get him in trouble. But he said, if you're, if you're truly going to do theology, if you're really going to come up with beliefs, you have to be willing to accept what the text says, mm-hmm. even if that means your doctrine has to change. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, we have, we have the Bible and we have what we believe about the Bible. Yeah. And we have people over thousands of years who have said what they've said about the Bible and I, I believe in this great big God, but I also believe because I've made the leap into believing there's a great big God, maybe the hundreds and thousands of people who have shaped my beliefs in theology, somebody might have missed it. Yeah. Some, <laughs> a lot of people have missed it. Someone might have said something that's wrong. I still believe that the Bible is the word of God. Someone else might not believe that, but I believe that the way it's been interpreted and twisted and and shaped... And not twisted for evil intentions. No. You know, some people have done that, but but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, maybe you just got it wrong. Maybe God looks different completely yeah. than the way I've interpreted that. Definitely. And I am open to that possibility. I believe what I believe, and I'm not going to say whatever anyone else believes is fine because all roads and blah, blah, blah. I just think that we have to, if we make a leap, to believe that there's because that's a big leap. First of all, there's yeah. a giant bridge of 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 faith for anyone to go from uh, believing only what you can see into believing something that you can't see. This yeah, whole spiritual huge. thing. It's a gigantic leap to go from no belief to belief. And so to to beat someone over the head and say you have to believe this way, that doctrine is what keeps that's why I think the millennial generation and the next generation is having trouble being involved because we've made it prohibitive. Yeah, we've made it dogmatic. We've made it you know, you can't change and and, and here's the thing, here's the thing. People forget that there's you cannot 100% take your biases or take your experience out of interpreting text, right. interpreting scripture. And so no matter what you do, you're going to be biased. You know, that's why the whole famous thing of history is his story. Mm-hmm. You know, that that whole thing, no matter what you do, it's going to be biased. And so at some point you have to consider or reconsider, reevaluate your your views and say, hey, maybe at this time that I formed that doctrine or that belief or accepted that doctrine or belief, I would I had certain things going on in my life that may, convinced me that this is the way to best understand this part of the text or this belief. And now at this point in my life, maybe other things are influencing or shaping how I should better understand that text. But, you know, nobody is a hundred, no, no person can a hundred percent take themselves out and be objective about how they understand scripture. And so to come be totally opposed to everyone else with opposing beliefs you know there's always the debate between armenian and calvinist and we're always making fun of each other and all of that type of thing and when there are the people who don't even use the bible at all yeah we have a bunch of religions out there i here's the deal there are some people that are really spiritual but in what i grew up thinking were kooky ways you know yeah they're like i'm not very religious but i'm spiritual and i used to say oh uh i'm not completely honest but you're real interesting and (laughs) But I've gotten to the point, okay, there's, there's, my story is no more ridiculous than their story. Yeah. 
You know, yeah. it's just, I happen to believe that mine's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I talk about this all the time. Like we talk about how crazy, uh, you know, other religions are, but I mean, if you're real, if you weren't raised in a Westernized Christian, quote unquote, Christian nation, Christianity sounds crazy. I mean, even in Christian history, you know, they thought when we said we were taking communion, drinking his blood, they thought we were cannibals. They yeah. thought we were having orgies when we got together for fellowship so much. You know, it, it really sounds crazy, you know, so you yeah, have to really yeah. put yourself in I mean, everything shoes. from the, the virgin birth to the crucifixion to the resurrection. I mean, hell, none of the disciples believed in a resurrected Savior until after they saw him. Yeah. Exactly. Thomas gets a bum, bum rap for being doubting Thomas because he was in the same boat everyone else was. Yeah. He just happened to be out at the Piggly Wiggly picking up some <laughs> uh, picking up some kosher uh potato chips yeah. for for the barbecue that was getting ready to happen. So he missed Jesus showing up. And then everyone else is like, oh, yeah, now we believe in him. Yeah. And then, then he, he's like, nope, I don't believe in that. Exactly. Peter and didn't believe. None of them believed. Nobody believed in a resurrected Savior until they saw a resurrected exactly. Savior. So anyone else who doesn't believe what I believe, people are, this is something that I've, I've said for years. People will never believe what you believe until they've experienced what you've experienced. Exactly. At what point were you first aware of spirituality? First aware of spirituality. Um, you know, I was raised nominally catholic like my grandmother taught catechism and communion classes and so i was i was kind of raised in catholicism to a sense i was kind of aware of it but uh, it really wasn't personal it really wasn't i didn't really have my own belief in it it was just kind of customary mm -hmm. you know this is this is what we did and um you know i could i did my communion i did my confirmation those types of things um, but I would have to say my first time really aware of spirituality is just prior to me having a relationship with uh, with God and coming into Christianity, which was right on the cusp. I remember it was March 19th, 2003, uh, right before the war in Iraq. How old um, were you then? I was 18. Okay. I was 18. I had just turned 18. I was, you know, my birthday's March 2nd, so it was, what, two weeks prior to um uh, about a year prior to that i had met my wife and i was doing community service in a church in barstow and i had been introduced to this community these these people that essentially had at the end of it had huge flaws but initially they embraced me and um i started to sense that there was something different mm -hmm. um there was something different about what they believe and how they lived that out and then uh, when I first came into actually believing myself, March 19th, it was the war and they were talking about the draft and there's going to be people that were going to be possibly drafted. We didn't have enough soldiers. And I don't know why I heard that at some point I heard it. And with my background in, in Catholicism, I knew there was kind of a heaven and a hell. And I was just kind of like, well, if I get drafted, I'm going to, uh, I don't want to go to hell. So, you know, maybe I need to get right with God. And so that matched with a bunch of other personal problems I was having with my wife or my girlfriend at the time and uh, friends in the neighborhood who had turned their back on me. I just figured there was uh, that this thing that I had experienced with this other community offered something that was personal and real and enlightening and bigger than I had ever experienced. And so at that point, I, I kind of felt like, 
came into this awareness of spirituality. Right, and you grew up in Barstow? No, I grew up in San Bernardino. I grew up in the IE. Okay. I mean, we're in LA, but I grew up in the IE, the Inland Empire. I'm very proud of that. All right. <laughs> I was in Riverside today. Uh, oh, okay. There yeah, you had go. A, had an Uber ride out to Riverside. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Inland Empire. I got to be proud of that. Yeah, man. I, I've got, I got a lot of friends out there. The gentrification of LA is pushing people back out there again. Yeah. I'm talking about trying to buy stuff out there so that when it eventually starts to pick up after the market crashes again and and everything picks up maybe i can make some money I yeah bought some houses out there so yeah absolutely man all right well speaking of uber you you drive for uber right now yeah i drive uber and lyft yeah i just do uber now and it keeps me busy i don't man really i feel like it slowed down a lot it slowed down a lot but i still get over 100 rides a week yeah I, yeah i do about 10 to 15 a day and yeah, so yeah, about 100. Anyway, I was out in the Riverside today, but it's not the furthest I've gone. No, me either. Yeah, well, how far? what's the furthest you've gone as an Uber driver? Uh, Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara? Yeah, oh, that's two hours. There. Yeah. Two hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've been to uh, almost to San Diego from yeah, Santa Monica. Yeah, about the same distance. Yeah. yeah. So what's the most interesting Uber story? Most interesting passenger, good or bad? Something that's happened <laughs> that's like... It could be good. It could be bad. It could be funny. It could be. Well, it's just funny. I think, um, you know, I haven't had too many bad experiences. You hear all these experiences about Uber drivers and Lyft drivers will, uh, where, you know, someone gets hit or, or something like that. The driver gets assaulted or something like that. I wish somebody would. I'm not, I'm a pastor, but I'm not that, I'm not just going to take it. But, um, uh, my most interesting story is, uh, I picked up, uh, this girl, the Highland Park area. And it was an early morning, Saturday morning, and usually Saturday mornings you're picking up a bunch of people doing the walk of shame or mm-hmm. or whatever. They come out with their hair all raggedy and shoes in hand and smelling like day old beer. And and she comes out, she gets in the car, and uh, you know you make a casual comp- uh, conversation. How are you? You know how's it going? She was like, it's not that great. And I was like, all right, this is going to be interesting. And she was just like. And she just goes on a rant. She just starts to lay out the story from what happened last night. And I guess she was at a at a bar with her friends. And she sees some guy. And they start to flirt and whatnot. And the guy approaches her. And then uh, they start, I guess they hit it off. And they were going to go back to his place. So, But he tells her that, you know, I got a girlfriend. But she's okay with this. And so, <laughs> so he says, <laughs> see, he tells her, wait, hold up. Let me call my girlfriend because we're going to go back to my place. Let me call my girlfriend to tell my girlfriend not to come home because I'm going to be with this other girl. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so she do- he does. He calls her. His girlfriend tells him, that's fine. I'll stay out all night with my friends. You do your thing. Well, I guess this girl that I picked up went home with him. They had their fun. And in the middle of the night, this guy's girlfriend shows up. Mm-hmm. And while they're still in bed, and she's pissed at him for what she already condoned, uh, allowed him to do. Of course then, she is. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and so she, and but instead of interrupting them, she just goes into the living room and sleeps on the couch. And so this girl's telling me, and then the guy gets out of the, the room with the girl that he picked up at the bar, goes into the living room, sleeps with his girlfriend, and leaves this girl in the room <laughs> with her. And so she's telling me that she's laying there in the bed all night, all weirded out, like, what do I do? And then eventually she gets up in the morning, and the girl flips out, and it goes off, and it, it was just crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's anything as a working, open relationship. <laughs> hey, I, I, I don't know. 
I don't know everybody. I don't know. It wouldn't work for me, man. No First way. of all, I, I like monogamy. Second of all, I, I'll mess around and hurt somebody. <laughs> I can't, I'm too, no, can't do it. It's not like public, but it's not uh, a secret. I've only ever been with my wife. We've been married for 20 years on Tuesday. Wow. So she's the only one for me. Yeah. And, and I don't even know what other people are like. I don't know if people are different down there or. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I have no idea, you know? Yeah. So I, I just, I'd rather not find out. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, exactly. I, I, I like that extreme mystery that yeah. some people are just not there for me. Yeah, but um, not just that. I mean, it's, it's also just simply like, why would you want to go through that again? And, and that's not to throw shade or to the being you know that your spouse or whatever but it's just like you've invested so much you've gone through highs and lows why would you yeah, yeah. want to involve somebody else in i've in been trained like yeah you know and, <laughs> and she has too and the thing is i i have people i have passengers all the time i for the first year i just drove like 5 p.m to 3 a.m hardly any days at all i switched to days about a week and a half ago seeing how that works it's exhausting yeah um because i'm just so used to the, the graveyard owl. um but i always hear you know guys like she's been on three dates with a the guy they haven't slept together yet what's the deal and stuff and i'm like three dates what what is up with these people hey now my most interesting i mean i this is a good one i don't have any i've had tons of bad stories I've had people throw up in my car. I've had people. See, uh, I can't do it. I've had uh, someone start to give someone a blowjob in the backseat of my car. Um, wow. Good I, night. Wow. I know. I'm just like, that. That's, I, that's, where, that's where my kids' car seats are going to go, dude. <laughs> you can't do that. You know, that's um, not okay. Yeah, that, um, that's exactly why I don't drive nights. But the very best, it was late at night. I picked up this, he's got to be 60 years old. Uh, and he plays bass in a punk rock band that I'd heard of. I can't remember what it is, but I heard of it when he told me. And uh, they're traveling again, you know, because they probably spent all their money on, on booze and drugs back in the day. <laughs> but they're they're doing their thing. But he's from Ireland, and he kicked around England in the in the early '70s with his band, and when they were still struggling. And the thing is, uh, the London music scene is a pretty small community, so the, all those legends just hung out. Mick Jagger, Rod Stewart, David Bowie, John Lennon. Um, and one day he happens to see George Harrison at a clothing store. George Harrison of the Beatles. Wow. George Harrison was his idol. And he was like, if I don't go up and talk to this guy, I'll regret it for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you also think, what do you say to George Harrison? Yeah. You know, he's one of the four most famous people in the world. world. Yeah. There was no political figure. There was no musician, there was no movie star more famous than the Beatles. Yeah. Whether you think they're overrated, whether you think they're good or not, or whatever you think of, nobody was more famous than the Beatles. Icon. So he walks up to George Harrison. He's like, uh, pardon me, Mr. Harrison. I, I wanted to let you know that um, you're such an idol to me. Where do you come up with all these accents, bro? You got them all down. I'm a professional voiceover artist. <laughs> I, I I just really wanted to let you know that uh, you're very uh, very influential to me, and I wouldn't be playing music right now if it wasn't for you. And I just you probably heard this a million times before, but I just wanted to tell you that I love your music, and you've uh, you're a big idol to me, and thank you very much. And George Harrison turns and looks at this guy, you know, and he, he introduces you like, "My name is Terrence," and uh, you know, and so George looks at him and says, 
Ah, yes, Terence, I've heard it a million times before, but I've never heard it from you before. So keep up the great work, man. Wow. And I was like, holy. Wow. What a moment. That's Something awesome. to hold on to for the rest of your life. That's awesome. You know, and I think that's spiritual, man. Jesus, you probably heard this a million times. Yeah, I have, but I've never heard it from you before. I love it. That's awesome. That's or, awesome. you know, just to anybody in the world, you know, you've probably said a lot of things to a lot of people, but when you say it, when you say you matter to somebody who's never heard it before, yeah. it makes an impact. Yeah. It's that freaking starfish you throw back into the ocean. It made a difference. It makes an impact. And I will never forget that story as long as I live. It's, that's the kind of stuff that keeps me going. I, Be, yeah, go ahead. That, that, that's exactly what uh, one of the things that I've been reflecting on this last couple of years since Cityscape closed, which is, is just at what point in that person's journey did you make it, you know, contribute to their, their journey and, and them coming into belief or coming into faith? And so many people, so many pastors, so many individuals, so many churches feel like, well, we're not a 300 or 3,000 people, but that doesn't mean you didn't contribute to their journey at yeah. some point. You weren't the person, like you said, you know, I never heard it from you. You know, you may have played a, a, a part in their journey. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, so that that was uh, impactful to me. And, I mean, the Beatles are my favorite band of all time. There are songs, to me, mus- there's very little things in life that are that are more spiritual than music. Universal. Yeah, it's universal. It's the art that, you can look at paintings, you can look at photographs, and some people, some people get really emotional about those things. Some people get really emotional about film. I do think film is a very approachable medium for art. That touches a lot of people, but not in the same way music does. No, music, food, and sex. Yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> it it just brings people together. And I used to be one of those assholes that were like, "You like that kind of music? Um, that's not real music. Let me introduce you to real music." Yeah. But now I'm at the point in place where I'm like, I am so glad you have something that moves your soul. Yeah. I'm not going to download the new Drake album. I don't care if all 25 tracks are in the top 100. <laughs> you and me both. I'm not yeah. doing that. Yeah. And I'm not hating on Drake. I just, but, I'm yeah. not a big hip hop guy. Yeah. When someone, like when I saw uh, Behind the Music on uh, Ice Cube, a VH1 Behind the Music, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I think this guy's pretty cool. I didn't go buy an album though. Yeah. You know, but I was like, okay, I get him now. Yeah. And so, and the thing is, when I learn something about somebody, I'm a big fan all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, when you're invested in their personal life, and I spent an hour and some time watching VH1 in the middle of a night at a hotel, you know, so I'm like, okay, well, now I like this. It's a very guy. personal thing, you know. You gotta... Yeah. But music is, to me, it's the most visceral art form. It's on the surface because it's so deep in you and it just kind of comes out. And for me, there are certain songs that take me back. Every time I hear it, even if it's just for a brief moment, the song will come on, and at least for a second, I'm automatically transported to a part in my past. Mm. Do you have anything like that, where you hear a song and it always takes you to the same memory? Man, there's so many songs like that that uh, really hit me. Um, I would think probably I'm a huge uh, Wu-Tang fan. I'm a huge Method Man fan. And so uh, probably... Uh, you're all I need with Method Man and Mary J. Blige. Oh wow! Um, yeah. That that kind of rendition that they did uh, really just it, it's just amazing. Um, my wife and I both love it. It just I think it represents uh, a, a 
a point in time in our relationship and uh, just everything that he's talking about and, and how he, your spouse, your significant other, your loved one has uh, how special they make you feel um, and, and the different type of person that you become with them. So, yeah, that, that song really just uh, anytime that song comes on, you can guarantee it. My wife and I are are singing. She's singing the hook. I'm doing the lyrics in the car and when we're having a full out karaoke in the car. So, so it takes you back to early part of your relationship. Yeah. When did uh, that song come out? I would have to say, uh, I would have to say early nineties. I'm thinking around 94, something okay. like that. 95. Yeah. The song I'm thinking of right now, um, that always takes me back. I, I love the song. It's a kind of a weird song. It came out in 1971. It's called Lola by the kinks. Okay. The song is about a guy goes to a bar, picks up a woman. It's not a woman. It's a man. Oh, wow. It's a kind of a funny song, you know, and the, because it's based on a true story. The uh, producer for the kinks went out and he danced with this girl all night long. And then he noticed stubble, like when the lights hit her a certain way. And he's like, (laughs) oh, okay. And it was a funny song because it was an accepting song, you know, and it was a song that, hey, you be you. It's kind of the thing. Gotcha. But the last line of the song, and I was this, what the memory that comes to my head with this song is I was listening to it in the car with my youngest brother, Will, when he was like 10 and he's 30 now, 31 years old now. So this is 21 years ago, we were driving around in my car and that song was on and he was just jamming out because he loves music too. He loves all the, about all the same music I do. And it gets to the very last song. It's like, I'm not the world's most masculine man, but I know what I am, and I'm glad I'm a man, and so is Lola. And he looked right at me and just had this look of like, what the hell, you know, on his face. And I looked at him. I'm like, yeah, it's the first song about a transvestite that, you know, made popular radio. And he was like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, okay, let me explain to you what that is. And so that was his uh, foray into what? what that is but i i just always even if i if even if i don't think of that memory for a while during that song as soon as it gets there i always think of my little brother when he was like 10 or 11 years old and think of that moment and the look on his face and it's it's a good memory it's a moment it's a moment in my life and i have dozens and dozens of uh other songs i'll go ahead and uh tell another one when I first went to the Bible college we went to, I wasn't familiar with a lot of worship songs. Mm, you and me either. Yeah. Um, there was one they always played. Ancient of Days. Ancient oh. of Days. They played it every day for like two <laughs> months in chapel. Like and a the, radio station playing yeah, it out. But the thing is, they had a different worship team every day. Yeah. So it wasn't like the same people. It was this, this, the different worship team thought that was the song that we needed. And I, someone walked by my dorm room one time when I was playing guitar, like one time and they're like, Oh, you're pretty good. I was like, okay. And they're like, do you want to play with us in chapel tomorrow? And I'm like, okay, sure. And then I got asked to play like all the time. And finally I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh man. I played it differently every time too. I was like, (laughs) no, thank you. Oh man. That's crazy. So what else is happening in your life right now? Nothing, man. Just um, trying to get by, thinking about moving back to the IE, mm. um, where it's a little more affordable than LA. Man, you kill yourself out here trying to just make it. Getting ready to 
start thinking about at least preparing myself myself emotionally been preparing myself emotionally the last two years about getting back into ministry and planting and and all of that so um just working through the the idea of that i mean up till up until three days ago we almost moved back to texas like on like like that my wife had a transfer ready we were ready to go for her job we were ready to go at the money to move and we were just like uh, me anyways i was just like i'm a cali boy i can't do it anymore i need i need to stay right here and so just uh working that all out yeah there's a lot to work out my wife and i have been kicking oklahoma around again Mm -hmm. just because it's so cheap yeah exactly and all of our family is there exactly but we've been we've been we've gone back from chicago texas Stay in California, Chicago, Texas, at one time, Vegas. The last two years, we've gone through that cycle probably about a good three times, four mm-hmm. times. And, you know, finally settling. Hopefully, we're settling. Every time we say we're like, we make a decision, give it a month or so, and we're just like, start kicking around that idea again. For me, I, I resigned from ministry two years ago. You know what's amazing to me is you and I had completely different upbringings. Yeah, but somehow somewhere along the way we've hit a kind of a parallel path. Yeah, we, we both went to Sagu, we both, um, you know, and we both moved to Texas to go to Bible college. We both came back out. You know, I, I'm not from California, but I came to California in 2005 after a long time in ministry. Yeah, and been doing ministry. We both kind of, I didn't get burned out with with our denomination. I just got knew I was ready for something different. But then it was just weird when you're involved, when you're a credential holder, every once in a while they call you if you made a little mistake on your money or something like that. Ain't that the truth. And it's just like, oh, first, I just want to see how you're doing. Oh, I'm doing fine. Okay, well, now that we got that out of the way, here's the real reason we're calling. Mm-hmm. And since I've let my uh, credentials lapse, I haven't had one phone call. Not one call. Yeah. I haven't had anyone calling like, you know. Um, I bet there might have been an issue or it must have been a problem or maybe you were depressed or something like that. Yeah. And um, and I don't blame them because they're a big organization and they got a lot to do, but nobody, nobody reached out. Yeah. The, the, I, yeah. I, I call bullshit that they somebody should have reached out. They don't they don't like you said, they're a big organization, but your job is to care for the rest of the ministers. You're not pastoring a church. Your job is to care for the rest of the ministers. And so in that, yeah, somebody should have called you. The only time someone called me is the minute I said something about them. As soon as I posted something about them, well, I got a call within five minutes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and that's that's the thing. And I'm not trying. There's a lot of good people in our fellowship, in our former fellowship, I should yeah. say. And I I left with in pretty good standing. And then I, I kept my credentials for like a year, year and a half. And then I'm like, you know what? Because I kept thinking, maybe I'm going to do something in ministry again. But the further away I got from it, the more I realized that I'm I'm a little happier with voiceover. I'm a little happier with trying to be an actor. But I still had, and it was proven with all the Uber conversations I was having, an ability to connect with people on a spiritual level. Mm. And I still wanted to talk about things spiritually so that's where this podcast idea came from. Gotcha. Originally, it was just going to be five-minute YouTube clips, little sermonettes. But then I thought, you know, let's have some real conversations. Then for me, my favorite, not my favorite, but I think the most important verses in the Bible are Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, where Jesus says, 
love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the prophets hang on this. And for me, the breakdown to that is the breakdown of this podcast. Yeah. Love God, love people, and don't be an asshole. Yeah. And that's what all major religions, and I think the Bible, boil down to. Love God, love people, and don't be an be asshole. Because asshole. Yeah. that's how you do it. How do you love... God created the heavens and the earth. We kind of settled on that as part of our theology. Yeah. How do you love God? Well, you can't really show God the same kind of love. You know, worship and uh, praise and prayer and spending time with Him. But some people spend so much time loving God in their heads, in their minds, and they think in their hearts, but they're not giving people any love. And I, as a father, if people treat my kids well, I am a lot more prone to think that they love me. Mm. Um, and so God created people and he created the earth and whether he did that in seven days or whether he did it through a billion years of evolution, uh, he did it. He's the immovable mover. So I, that's what I believe. I've made that, that leap of faith that God did all that. He created all that. The best way I can show love for God is by taking care of the planet he created because in Genesis, he says you have dominion over it. It doesn't mean you should trash it. Yeah, you know, because I think some people think, "Well, I have dominion over it; I can do whatever the hell I want to with it." No, nope. but I, I recycle. You know, yeah. I I when I see someone litter, I'm like, "What the hell, dude?" And I, I try to go get it if I can. Yeah. Um, and then I give them the look. You know, <laughs> and uh, I'm like, "Why?" So you could probably gonna be giving me the look one day. Then. Yeah. I I I try to take care of yeah. planet Earth the best I can. I'm I'm not a vegan or anything like that. You know, I had a delicious leg of lamb sandwich last night. Um, <laughs> But so I mean I may not be the most sustainable person, but I believe that sustainability is important, and that's part one. Part two is loving people. God created people; we're supposed to take care of them. How do you love people? And that's where the third part comes in. Start out by not being an asshole. Yeah, there it is. Because sometimes people are just thoughtless and selfish, and to me, that's what being an asshole is. Being an asshole isn't being Hitler. Yeah. You know, that's being evil. Being an asshole is just being thoughtless and careless and selfish. And, we're, and we all are. Yeah. Everybody is. But we should mitigate that the best we can by looking at the world, looking at people, and just trying our best. We're going to fail, but let's try our best just to not be assholes. Yeah, it's, that, that is exactly it. I mean, I, I tell my wife... So often, you know, part of my my journey since, you know, everything we've gone through and several other people and multiple people have gone through with the fellowship we were a part of, the denomination we were a part of, uh, has created this anger and and uh, in me. And, and I've, I've started to realize that, you know, over the last couple of years, like I lose, I, I almost, almost embarrassed to say I lose hope in humanity almost every day. Like I see them do something so selfless or so inconsiderate of other people or a group of people or, you know, as we started out with our conversation earlier, politics and just, I lose hope in humanity all the time. Like, why would you do that to someone else? Or why wouldn't you do that for someone else? How could you be such so self-consumed, such an asshole, such a jerk, so inconsiderate of other people that you would do any number of things. You yeah. Know? Well, that kind of leads into like my last question, how I want to end the podcast with politics, the way it is with 
knowing the things we know scientifically, politically, knowing, you know, the way people are, why are you still leaning into spirituality? Why do you still believe what you believe? You know, that that's a very difficult question for me at this point in my in my faith journey. I like to use it that way because it's I've learned that it's not a destination unlike so many people which in the evangelical world which is like you get your your list of doctrines in order and you're set. Yeah, fire and, insurance. Yeah, exactly. And you're set <laughs> fire insurance. <laughs> yeah, and you're set, you know. And and we assume it's that way, but it, it's so much more. It it's this journey that entails um a lot of hurt, unfortunately, entails a lot of ups and downs. At this point in my journey, the the reason I'm leaning into uh, my spirituality um, is is exactly what you're saying is is the asshole part of people and um, and what what I mean by that is that I've I've come to a point in my faith where I'm starting to realize more more of the importance of the social aspects of it than the sacramental aspects of it, the liturgical aspects of it, all of those types of things that we observe uh, in services. And I'm realizing that there's more significance to a degree in the, uh, the personal aspects of not just not being an asshole to people, but helping people advance their lives and move further. And so at this point, I, I think the only reason I'm leaning into spirituality is I feel a sense of not just obligation, but a heartbreak for um, some of the things I see people having to endure. Mm-hmm. Um, things that myself I've had to endure and seeing others people as having, now having to endure. And I want to be help, a solution, an encouragement to that. I think that is part of what's obligated of us as a believer, as a Christian, as a whatever you want to call yourself i think that's what god obligates of us i think the problem is we've gotten so caught up in our as we said earlier our doctrine having our fire insurance and really caught up in our egos and our and to put pastors out there caught up in securing that check unfortunately that we're unwilling to change certain things that are actually going to be more of a benefit to people than conducting services yeah of course corporate worship is a wonderful thing to be a part of in whatever system that you choose to be in i really enjoy a a good liturgical uh situation you know me too but i i'm I'm gonna butcher uh what she said but there's a stand-up comedian uh named taylor tomlinson i saw on uh conan or i saw on youtube off of conan gotcha and she said something about still believing in God, but probably because she just has so much time invested in the in the belief, because if there's no God, she told the wind a lot of secrets. Mm. And so I just always think about that. It's funny. So we do have a lot of our time and our past invested into this idea, but I, I still lean in because of the experiences I've had, you yeah. know? I know that there is something bigger than me out there. I probably at some point misinterpreted part of it, of God, of the entire faith story, but I'm going to keep leaning into it anyway. And hopefully that grace 
that we believe in so much is big enough to cover any of my theological inconsistencies. Mm. And I'm going to have the grace to allow God's grace to cover somebody else's theological inconsistencies Yeah, and hope that, uh, you know, we can all get along while we're here. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, part of what I just said in reference to my, why I still lean in is, is, you know, a lot of people who don't believe say, you know, you just have this faith because you're scared of the afterlife or what may come after or whatnot. And I, and I think part of my belief still is that I see so much hurt. Yeah. I see so much damage. I mean, I got to believe that, that hopefully there'll be something to resolve, to heal, to all of this pain, hurt, yeah. tragedy. And I, I think we need it here on earth more than we do in the afterlife. Mm. You know, we yeah. need that relationship. We need that counselor yeah. more in what we know exists. Cause people are like, Oh man, some people, they talk about the afterlife and their hope, their entire hope is heaven. And sometimes I'm like, wouldn't it be great if there was nothing after escapism? Yeah. yeah. If it was just a dirt nap forever. Mm. And that would not be scary to me. Some people think that would be way too scary. And the thought of heaven is the peace. Mm. The thought of heaven and hell is pretty anxiety ridden to me. Yeah. Um, I believe in heaven, which is probably why I have anxiety. Yeah. Um, oh, I hear you. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. So I don't believe that once you die, that's it. But I think what, what a relief it would be, you know, if you, if that was true. Yeah. Now, of course, I'm saying that out loud and hearing that I'm like, eh, maybe not. Again, it's one of those things that I'm that I'm working out in my faith journey as I'm going and I'm open to being wrong. What I'm not open to, I'm open to people calling me out on be- being wrong, too, but just not being assholes about it. So you hear that? <laughs> those of you who knew me growing up and like, I can't believe he said that. I still don't know. Yeah. And you don't know either. Yeah, exactly. John. (laughs) I just made the most common name I could think of. Anyway. Hey, man, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. All right. All right. Hey, kids, don't be assholes. (laughs) 